first time since 2018, the Florida Gators baseball team is headed to the Super Regional. Billy Napier and the Florida Gators have an exciting visitors weekend. However, commitments still remain to be seen. Hello, Gator Nation. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Chris James, joined alongside my co-host tonight, Neil Shulman. Well, we're going to be recapping all of the exciting action from this past weekend's baseball regional victory in advancing to the Super Regional. Also going to talk about the visitors weekend and recap everything that happened there with the visitors, uh, any recruitment news that has come up, as well as any additional football news uh, to be discussed. But before we get into that, a quick word from our sponsor. The In All Kinds of Weather Forecast is proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and big Gator fan. And three, we've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather, as they did our new logo, our new website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website, and they do mall marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. They also have many Gator-related projects on the horizon. So if you're listening to this pod and or your brand, company needs some help in any of the affirmation areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their full list of services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that, Neil, I want to welcome you in here. It was an exciting weekend for our Gators baseball team. It was an exciting weekend, I think, for you traveling and attending all of the regional action that took place. Uh, so want to go ahead and open the floor really quick just to kind of get your uh, how was your weekend? How was your experience down in Gainesville and being there at Connor Ballpark to witness uh, something that hasn't happened in five years? Yeah, um, a lot of driving, a lot of driving involved, but all worth it. Um, just you know, listening to some music, listening to some podcasts, talking to some buddies on the phone. Um, got my parents on for a little bit of the of the drive to pass the time. All all of it was worth it. The the mind numbingness of just staring at the road and waiting to see what other stupid drivers do um all worth it to see the gators come off the mat chris and win the regional bracket the hard way something that the the gators just haven't done they haven't ever had to win a regional coming out of the losers bracket now they've gone two and oh before and they've been pushed to a game seven in the position that texas tech was in having won the first two games but they've never lost either of their first two games and come back off the mat to win the entire regional. The closest they came to that was last year where they pushed Oklahoma to a seventh game, but they ultimately lost that. So good to see the Florida Gators make just another type of history this year. I mean, we talk about Caglione breaking the school record for homers in a single season. We talk about the number of wins they had in the regular season, talk about another SEC championship. The Gators just keep on rewriting the University of Florida program's history books with seemingly every time they step on the field or at least every weekend and to be able to sit there in the stands and watch it is hot and humid as it may have been well worth it. Yeah, definitely. I, I really love the fact that this team once again, overcame the adversity on the field, quote an old Will Muschamp uh, quote there, but 
it, you know, it was it was great to see what this ball club was really capable of doing when their backs up were up against the wall and the season was on the line and everything that we had achieved, like you just mentioned, was in jeopardy of of going up in flames, really. Because, you know, as you mentioned on the last podcast, it was Omaha or bust. And, you know, if we had fallen to Texas Tech, it, there would have been a lot of questions to, you know, once again, the skater ball club where they accomplished a lot in the regular season, but they couldn't quite get the job done when they hosted a regional. Uh, but that did not happen. They were able to get the job done and they were able to do it largely on the back of some incredible pitching efforts by several of our starters and then our relievers as the weekend went on. So we'll go ahead and get into just kind of recapping the the regional here game by game. Uh, the Florida Gators got off to a very good start against uh, Florida A&M. We talked about how the there was a debate whether or not you start uh, Jack Caglione or you you know you go with uh, Brandon Sproke or you go with uh, Waldrick, but the Gators ended up going. Uh, with Jack Caglione, and he did a great job. Pitched a solid game, uh, several strikeouts, and he ended up shutting out the Rattlers. And and then you know it was a good thing because the Gators' bats were not hot in Game One. Uh, so Neil, kind of talk about what your you know your impressions were from the first game against the Rattlers. You know, an inferior opponent, uh, but you know Caglione rose to the occasion and had a a, a very quality start. Yeah, Caglione and Josh Rivera with a two run homer in that game. So, um. I I, I kind of think, Chris, that one of the reasons, not the main reason, obviously, but I think one of the ancillary reasons that we cover Gator baseball as much as we do is because, yes, the Gators have an elite program, but I think it's worth, especially with the new ballpark that just got built, expanding capacity from, I think, 4,000 to up to 10,000 from the old McKeithen Stadium, I think that it, it's worth Gator football and basketball only, or maybe just the Gator football only, Florida fans maybe investing a little bit into this Gator baseball program right now. So to to give you all a, a sort of comparison, a football comparison, which really isn't fair because they're very, very different sports. But the from a production standpoint, from a how we left the game feeling standpoint, if you remember the first game of, of Urban Meyer's tenure where Florida beat Wyoming 32 to 14 or the Miami Ohio game five years later where we couldn't snap the ball back correctly and we won that game 34 12. Yeah, Florida won better than losing, but there were a lot of issues there. The, the Florida AM game kind of felt like the baseball equivalent of that because, yes, there were some good at bats. Josh Rivera put a barrel on a baseball, beautiful. Jack Caglione was tremendous. The defense was good. That's why I use the comparison of the Wyoming game or the Miami Ohio games. The defense was there. The pitching was there. That was all great. But the offense just couldn't, it couldn't get out of its own way. I mean, there were some, there were some bad swings and some favorable hitters counts. There were some hitters pitches. There were some good pitches for batters to hit that were either fouled straight back or popped up. We just couldn't barrel up and, and smoke the way you're supposed to in, in baseball. And we talk about, you know, you, you, you can't control if you hit a ball in the gap or you can't control if you hit it right at the left fielder, but you can control if you put your barrel on it, get the fat part of your bat on it and put a good swing on it. That much you can control. And we weren't seeing a ton of that. And this was against Florida A&M, a team that Florida earlier this season without any of its really best pitchers smoked. They beat them 17-7 without even using their starters for much of that game. They pulled them early when it got ridiculous. And you know, AM wound up scoring a few runs off of the back, back, back end of the Florida bullpen. So that was a bit concerning. But 
I know we'll, we'll talk about this as we, as we as we keep going um into the baseball recap but now the Gator bats would pick the, would pick it up but that game as we're talking about in the context of the one baseball game was not anything to be proud of beyond the fact that Caglione pitched well the one great at bat from Rivera yeah there was an eighth inning run that we scored um and the defense behind them was good but there were a lot of question marks that came out of that game questions Chris that I think had us wondering was Florida going to be the team to make it out of this regional definitely and you know and even at the end of that game Florida had to have two throws at the plate uh, and had that, you know, those runs scored, it could have been an even closer game where uh, certainly Florida would have been a lot more nervous. But they got the job done. They shut out the Rattlers 3-0 to zero in the first game. And then that brings us to the second game. The Texas Tech uh, defeated UConn, so therefore we were playing them in that second game, the 1-0 matchup. Uh, and this is where things got dicey. Uh, this was a back-and-forth game. And for Innsbruck, you know, I think through a pretty good game, he didn't do anything wrong in this game. He, you know, he had a solid start, uh, you know, wasn't on the the hook for the win nor the loss. But, you know, the the bats, once again, didn't really deliver like we had seen all season. And then we got into a 3-3 duel uh, where, unfortunately, the Gators gave up a late two-run shot that gave Texas Tech a 5-3 lead. And then the Florida Gators tried to make a valiant comeback at the end there, uh, but ultimately fell five to four, putting us in the elimination bracket. So, Neil, give us your thoughts after the first game versus Texas Tech. Well, I, I kind of got some pushback on Twitter from this, some of it from you, um, that I was being a little too too hard on Florida's Ryan Slater because if you're going to go by the official scoring, the, the way baseball scoring works – Ryan Slater lost the game for the Florida Gators. That's that, that that's just being as official and as technical as it gets. So you, you have to assign a winning pitcher and a losing pitcher, and the losing pitcher was Ryan Slater because he gave up the two-run homer that gave Texas Tech the runs that made the difference in the final score. Now, was he to blame for the loss? A little. He he could have not given up the homer. Uh, Gavin Cash had already hit one earlier in the game, so you knew. I mean, if if his average and his stats from the the rest of the season weren't any indication, now you had fresh data right in front of you. Let's maybe be careful with this guy, and he wasn't. But I mean, that that's maybe ten percent, fifteen percent of the blame. Where the other eighty-five to ninety again goes to the Florida offense. They just did not get the job done the way that they had been doing all year. This was, again, a Texas Tech team that you know, we talked about in the preview. They they have one good pitcher, Mason Molina. They used him against Connecticut. He wasn't available. I mean, Brandon Beckel is a, is a solid reliever. I, I, Ryan Free is probably in a – he w- probably would be an above-average reliever in the SEC. The rest of their pitching staff just isn't that good. And Florida, yeah, that they did have some good at-bats here and there. But they didn't string together enough of them consistently that if you keep putting barrels on baseballs, eventually law of average says you're going to find gaps. You're going to find holes through the infield. You're going to get some breaks go your way if you just keep barreling them up. And Florida didn't do that consistently enough. So when the occasional barrel of a bat did meet a baseball, Jack Caglione had a good one in that game, and it didn't go Florida's way. There was nothing else before or after him that could keep the rally going. So, you know, he he didn't wind up uh, being followed up with a double because someone else put a barrel on a bat with a good swing on a on a good hitter's pitch. It just didn't happen. So, again, a disappointing performance from the Florida Bats. Um, you know, some of it, I would say, definitely due to luck. But 
A lot of it, I think, was in the Gators' control, and they didn't control what they could control, so that put them in the loser's bracket for the third straight year in their own regional. Yeah, and I think this game really just highlights kind of the fickle nature of the sport of baseball. We talked about it going into throughout the season and then going into the NCAA tournament, how, you know, weird plays, you know, where, you know, Jack Caglione put two, you know, balls in the air that definitely could have been home runs and, and they weren't and they didn't go his way. They didn't go the team's way. And that could have been the difference actually in a victory for the Gators and actually finishing this regional a lot sooner than they did, but it didn't. And that just goes to show that when you don't have a, a superb hitting night when you give up uh, timely hits to the other team, you can lose a game. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. And we said Texas Tech was a formidable opponent against the Gators. We both predicted Texas Tech to get into the 1-0 game versus the Gators, in which they did. Uh, you did predict that they would beat us at least one time. I, I believe you did the, the thought, though, that it was going to be in the regional final matchup. Uh, not in the one Oh matchup. I did. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and call it that, uh, that I was right on this. I had Florida going two and Oh and being, being the, you know, the, in the driver's seat and getting pushed to a seventh game by Texas tech. But yeah, man, I mean, they're, they, they're just, they hit the ball and they're hot. So that was why I, I predicted that, but sorry, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, yeah, it's totally fine. No, that's good. I, and you know, I think as you mentioned too, how Texas tech has a couple of decent pitchers, but the most of their their pitching rotation and their and their bullpen just isn't really up to SEC level uh, talent, and it kind of showed I think later as the weekend progressed when the Gator bats did get hot. But before we get to that point, now getting into the UConn game, Florida had to shake off a, a heartbreaking loss in Game Two, and basically about twelve hours they had to turn around, be back at the ballpark, warming up, ready to go for a noon first pitch. Uh, Hurston Waldrop probably pitched one of the finest games of the season for a Florida pitcher. 12 strikeouts on, on the day for him there and exactly what the Gators needed. The, the bats didn't get going right away in this game, but when they did, it seemed kind of like an avalanche of hitting for the Gators against the UConn Huskies. And, you know, we said that we didn't think that the UConn Huskies were, were the second best team in this regional. And I think it really showed in this game just how far behind they lagged between the Florida Gators uh, and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So, Neil, kind of recap this one against UConn. Uh, this was a this was a really impressive turnaround, I think, by this team uh, and set up the momentum going into that regional final for Texas Tech. Yeah, definitely impressive. And I think it's made all the more impressive because Florida – did one of the dumber things I've seen them do all year and and give Connecticut a free out. Taglione, who's been nothing short of a stud this year, made a pretty, if we're being honest, keep it respectful, but keep it real, a mistake you don't expect high schoolers to make, forgetting how many outs there were and just taking off on a dead sprint on a routine fly ball. Now, he didn't do it on purpose. We're not going to you know drag the kid, especially for all the amazing things he's he's done this year for the Florida Gators, but that's objectively a pretty stupid thing to do. Like fans, all the fans around me in the stands were like, what is he doing? Dude, what are you doing? Guys, what are you doing? Not one or two. Every other fan knew that he was making a big mistake, but, but to the Gators credit, they came back and they more than bounced back from that. Caglione more than made up for that with a three run bomb. He'd made great contact the night before against Texas tech, as we talked about, putting two balls at the warning track that didn't quite have enough with the wind coming in to, to get out of the yard, but made sure there wasn't any room for the wind to blow this one back and just crushed a three-run homer. That gave Florida a four-run lead after Wyatt Langford had given them 
the lead for good with a sack fly, making it 2-1. Cags with a three-run shot to make it 5-1. And at that point, Florida just kind of cruised. I mean, Waldrip, I guess the, the pitch count, you could say, was the the concern with him, but it wasn't the quality of his stuff by any means. He had he he did more than enough to to verify that he was, you know, going to be a first round pick. All the or if not first round pick, a second round pick at the absolute worst. All the scouts in the stands with the radar guns right behind home plate or you know, they they feel like they more than uh they more than had their their money's worth out of that game. So um yeah great performance from him. Brandon Ealy shutting the door and the Gators you know, coming off the mat with the first of, of the three wins in a row that they would need to keep their season alive. They got the job done in the first one on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and I, and I also thought this this win was very reminiscent of kind of the way the Gators did it in 2017, where you'd have a really strong star for maybe an Alex Fajardo or a Brady Singer, and then you'd have a guy like Michael Byrne come in and pitch the last two or three innings, and that's exactly what sort of happened here in this game where you had Hurston Waldrop go seven innings and then you had Brandon Neely shut the door in the last six outs. So this is a dominant performance, I think, for for the Gators in this one. And it really did, because we were only didn't have to go deep into the bullpen, it set up for, you know, an impressive regional finals uh matchup for the pitching for the Gators. And it gave uh Kevin O'Sullivan a lot of options heading into that matchup versus Texas Tech. Uh and w- one more thing I also kind of want to know too. I thought that this performance by Hurston Waldrop, in my mind, sort of solidified the fact that he's been one of maybe the most consistent starting pitcher all season. And there's an argument, I think, to be made that he is the ace of the staff. Would you agree, Neil? Well, I don't think there's any debate that it's either him or Sproad. I think that, you know, he has been the number two guy all year, in part because Florida wanted some maybe some wiggle room if they lost the opener brandon spurt has been a bit less consistent he's been tremendous for florida for the majority of the year but i say he's been less consistent than waldrop and i say that even with the caveat that waldrop was forced to change his windup his whole motion was screwed up by the ncaa 11 weeks into the season kind of crazy to me that you can watch him play for an entire season at southern miss and then 11 weeks of this season at Florida not say boo, and all of a sudden, oh, now you find something wrong with this windup, which could could have derailed him because we saw against Missouri and against Texas A&M, he, he did struggle, but came back, worked on it, found a found a rhythm that or found a windup, found a motion, found a technique that worked for him, and he regained his top form and more. Even though, as we said, Connecticut isn't exactly the, the cream of the crop in the country, I thought that they were a very, very low two seed. I thought they honestly should have been a three seed, even despite their their gaudy RPI, uh, which, by the way, is a terrible metric. But um, and their record, uh, I just I wasn't really buying their hype. And although I may say what I think about them, their lineup does have some guys that can hit. And Waldrop shut them down. Dominic Freeberger uh, and Corey Morton are two of the better hitters that I think Florida has seen all year. There is a drop in their lineup out for those two, but those two guys can hit. They are for real, and Waldrop shut them and the rest of the guys down. Definitely. So, the, yeah, the Gators advanced uh, to the regional final with that 8-2 victory over the UConn Huskies, where they faced off once again against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And this is where Kevin O'Sullivan, I think, really showed uh, his confidence in his staff as well as his experience as a, as a manager in the SEC. Uh, for this matchup, he went with the freshman, reminiscent of what Carson Feinbold the previous year against Oklahoma, uh, with Cade Fisher, and he delivered an impressive performance, seven innings, uh, multiple strikeouts, and and just 
exactly what the doctor ordered for this Gators team where they needed to have their starter go deep in this game. And I think if Gator fans had said, hey, you're going to get five innings out of this guy, they would have taken it. The fact that we got seven, Neil, was just absolutely incredible. And I think it only built the confidence of this pitching staff and the hitters, too, knowing that, you know what, these guys got our back. The pitchers got our back. They're giving us the time to be able to get going and get hot once again at the plate because we struggled in the first two games. We got hot against UConn, and then that carried on into the second game versus Texas Tech, the first of the regional final. And, of course, I think this was a this game true highlighted how when we put our backs up against the wall, even when adversity strikes, Florida can overcome it. And I'm going to single out the moment in the game where it could have been absolutely disastrous with that base running just complete faux pas. Uh, I don't know if it was miscommunication from the third base coach or just the players didn't understand really that they couldn't make it home. But, you know, you had a hard hit ball to third base. Uh, our first runner got out of the play, and then they tried to do the double steal action at second base to force the throw back home, and it, and it was it just was a disaster. But the Gators rebounded, and they had a two-out rally, which got the, what got the game going again for them in their way because, hey, if they don't get that out, that game, or if they get out in the next batter, that game could have turned the other direction, but it didn't. They responded in kind, and the Gators ultimately cruised to victory in this game. So, Neil, kind of what were your thoughts in game two? Uh, well, there are the the thoughts on that play, and then there are the thoughts on the rest of the game because, yeah, Florida won, and that's great, but that's the kind of thing that's going to lose them a game if they play a really good team because Texas Tech, you know, they're the sixth best team in the Big 12. Florida survived it because Texas Tech was 500 in the Big 12. They will not survive that kind of mistake against a Wake Forest, against a Tennessee. I know, I know we beat them two out of three, but that's still a really, really talented team over there. They will not survive that against a Virginia, who they are I made mean, Florida and Virginia can win the Super Regionals that they're both hosting will be their first opponent in the College World Series. They won't survive that against an Oral Roberts, a team that isn't as talented as Florida, but is hot and is winning a ton of games these days. And you don't do that by accident. So, uh, yeah, the play. First things first, I have no idea why in the world you ever swing at a 3-0 pitch. If your name is Aaron Judge, fine, go ahead. Your Albert Pujols in your prime, go ahead. You know, Jack Caglion. I'll, I'll even extend this to him. If you're Jack Caglione, sure, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you the grace to go ahead and swing a 3-0 pitch. If you're not famous for the amount of home runs you hit, or if you don't have a batting average or on-base percentage of about 600, you don't swing at a 3-0 pitch. You just don't do it. You work the pitch count. You wait for the next pitch to be even better. You dare the guy who has just thrown three balls in a row to throw you one strike. You give him two chances to at it. The second time, maybe you swing. But that no, that was the first mistake. The second mistake, why are we sprinting home when the ball's on the ground before it clears the infield? Because th there are circumstances in baseball where you tell your guys, you know, run on contact, run when the ball touches the ground, or run when the ball is through the infield and on the ground. Like when it's reached the outfield and it's clear it's going to hit the ground or has hit the ground already. We apparently either told the runner on third, uh, Richie Sheikhoffer, to take off on contact or 
take off when the ball had hit the ground. In either case, it's unacceptable because it's 0-0 in the sixth inning of a game. We don't know that Florida is going to wind up scoring seven runs in the next couple of innings. It's a 0-0 game. You have to assume runs are at a premium. That first run is precious. You have to wait until the ball clears the infield. It finds a hole or it gets over someone's head, and it's beyond obvious that it's going to be a clean hit that you can score on before you take off or home. That's the That's the second mistake. The third mistake, Cade Kerland at third base. I know that 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 you can see your teammates in a rundown and you want to try to help them out by kind of dancing off third base and maybe baiting the first baseman, Gavin Cash, who, will, by the way, just destroyed Florida this weekend. Uh, but, but baiting him, making him think about something else, giving him another something to, to worry about instead of the runner that he has locked in a rundown by sort of dancing off third – but why you're sprinting for home without the ball clearly being thrown away or Gavin Cash clearly not looking at you, if you don't have one of those two things happen, I, I don't understand for the life of me why you take off in a dead sprint for home. I, I can understand attempting to bait him, like I just said. I know he's a true freshman. I understand that true freshmen are going to make mistakes, but in an NCAA tournament, after you've been playing for the Gators all year, this is not game two of your freshman year. You've played 60-plus games this year. You can't do that. So it's all well and good because Florida won, but that's the kind of thing that if it happens again, they may not survive. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the luxury of winning ultimately the regional like we did the benefit is now we can learn from these mistakes going forward into a more competitive super regional matchup versus South Carolina, who swapped the Florida Gators in the regular season, and hopefully into Omaha, where we would face a Virginia potentially in that first game. You can learn and tell your guys, listen, in these situations, we've got to have better base running awareness. We have got to understand the situation at hand when you have a 3-0 count. You cannot swing at a pitch when a pitcher has been erratic at hitting the strike zone consistently. So no doubt that the coaching staff has their work cut out for them, but they have the luxury of obviously advancing, and they can talk to this team to to fix some of those errors. Yeah, so before we move on to the, the true regional final, I gave my thoughts on the bad stuff. I got to touch on the good stuff first. Kate Fisher – game of his life man that's that's that has to be shouted out as one of the it, it's tough because Jonathan Crawford threw a no-hitter for Florida in, in 2011 I think or 2012 in the regional uh, opener against Bethune-Cookman Alex Fiedo had two tremendous performances against TCU in the World Series in 2017 I mean and Carson Finvold last year against Oklahoma was a, was a gem of a complete game but this this was up there Kate Fisher what he did against Texas Tech in this game was up there with the great pitching performances in certainly in Gator baseball postseason history. Um, the bats, as we talked about, they did come alive. They did do what they were supposed to do. They overcame that. We saw that was incredible that Florida was able to, to escape with the win, not only, but to take advantage of the fact that there was a guy on base with two outs and just keep delivering like nothing had happened. They wound up scoring two runs in that inning, even after they just handed Texas Tech two free outs. Um, I mean, I guess one of them was Texas Tech giving Florida a gift because of a throwing error. Um, but the Gators rebounded, and they just responded the way a championship team is supposed to. And so that 
I think Chris, I, I, I did predict after the first Texas tech loss, I did predict that Florida would win twice on Sunday, but that I was very, very nervous about the Monday night game. But after that happened, after Florida just rebounded from that and wound up scoring two runs that ending and then seven runs you know, total for that night, something in me just just got a feeling like, all right, the, the bats are back. I, I think I think we might have this on Monday. So yeah, definitely a big win. Kate Fisher gets a gets a game ball, a pat on the back. He gets a, a free stake whenever he's out of college and NIL rules uh, you know, don't govern what fans can do for him or to him. Um, but I mean, definitely one of the better pitching performances in Gator baseball postseason history. And Chris, that set up a regional final that I think a lot of fans were were nervous about, but, but more excited about because the Gators were one win away from the Supers for the first time since 2018. Yeah, and I think there was maybe this one felt just a little bit more different than the last year's matchup versus Oklahoma. Last year against Oklahoma, Kevin O'Sullivan had to be very creative with that bullpen, which is why he had to go to Carson Finvold uh, and have that performance that he did. But this year, we got that performance from Cade Fisher where he went seven innings, and then we finished it off in two with the same pitcher. Same thing the matchup before, UConn, and then it preserved our bullpen, so we he had options going into this third game. And he even really didn't even have to go that deep in his bullpen once again uh, because of a great start by Ryan Slater, who got his redemption, like you had tweeted out multiple times throughout the weekend. And he got that redemption with a with an impressive five-inning um, performance, quality start, ultimately did get the win in this game. Uh, and then we shut the door in the last four innings uh, through the bullpen. So, I think that just the team, after seeing how he overcame some of the errors uh, in those first two games after the loss against UConn and Texas Tech and responded in kind, the bats got hot, the pitching kept rolling. It felt different going in this one. And I think Texas Tech sort of knew it. The writing was on the wall. They had already exhausted their best pitchers in the series, and the bats just went quiet uh, for them. Yeah, so Florida went on, and I think this is actually really impressive. So after the loss to, Tex to Texas Tech in the first game, in the 1-0 game, Florida went on a 21-3 run in the last three games. And they only gave up two against UConn. They gave up one versus Texas Tech in the second game versus them, and they shut them out in the regional final. So they got better and better as the week went on. They were able to defeat Texas Tech 6-0 to advance to the Super Regional. So quickly, Neil, give your final thoughts on that final regional performance and, and then kind of just getting into big picture, what this means now that we've finally advanced out of the regional for the first time in five years. Well, uh, I mean, this, this, the, the final game on Monday was, to me, the, the ultimate redemption story for a bunch of different guys in the team as a whole. Because we talked ad nauseum about how we've been swept out of our own regional in 21 by not good baseball teams in South Florida and South Alabama teams that shouldn't be coming into Gainesville and beating us with everything on the line. And then coming close, but not close enough against Oklahoma last year. So the team redeemed itself by finally getting that monkey off its back and getting to the next stage. Individually, the redemption stories for Ryan Slater, you know, we talked about him blowing the save against Oklahoma last year. He lost the game. He was the losing pitcher, technically speaking, against Texas Tech in the first game. He didn't really pitch 
terribly, but he definitely could have done better in that first game. Comes out, new mindset, shuts them down, shuts them out, keeps them off the scoreboard, keeps them from really threatening for the majority of the game. I think they had, at, at one point, they had a guy in, on second base. I don't think they had really had any better scoring threats than that. Um, so he he did a great job on the mound, five great innings. BT Ryapel had a great week in Hoover at the SEC tournament, but hadn't done a ton really really much of anything, honestly, at the plate for Florida in the regional in the first four games. I think he had one hit in, in the first four games and then comes up and he hits two homers, two two-run shots, four RBI. I mean, either one of them would have been enough to win the game, but just for good measure, he comes and hits a second one. So that's great for him. Kate Curlin had been in a slump for several weeks. Obviously, when the when the competition drops off from the likes of Charleston Southern and Siena, the batting average is obviously going to take a hit. But even going into the Kentucky series at the last series of the season, he had an average of 326. That had fallen all the way down to 302 in just a span of what was it? One, two, three games in the SEC tournament, uh, two games, three games against Kentucky, six games, and then the first four games regionals. So just in 10 games, he'd fallen from 326 to 302, which is pretty seismic given that he played 50 or so games up to that point. So there was a lot of data in there that every single at bat wouldn't jump or drop the average by too much. Um, he was in a slump. He came through. Big, big, big hit at the end, not for the Gators, but because of his confidence. He is going to be a bat that Florida needs to produce going forward, and he got that hit in the eighth inning. Didn't score off it, but good for him. Colby Halter hadn't hit a ton really all year. He'd struggled at the plate for most of the season, but he came through with two hits. And Florida, again, didn't really need those. They didn't really do anything with them that helped them win the game because Texas Tech didn't score. But again, that would be a bat that Florida would really like to have at the bottom of the lineup going into Super Regionals and hopefully beyond. So redemption all around uh, for Slater, for Colby Halter, for Cade Curland, Brandon Neely, not really redemption, but just a nice little story for him after getting ejected uh, against Georgia for no real reason whatsoever coming in and being the guy to finish it off. It just goes to show, you know, Brandon, you know, it would have been nice to have you against South Carolina, but who cares in the past, you come in when the Gators need you most. And that's what Gator fans are going to remember you for. So great to see the Gators get the job done, Chris. And uh, as for the big picture, I think we're seeing now that Florida is a team that is winning in a variety of ways. Cause I don't think anyone would have predicted that Florida would be a team that used its defense and it's pitching to win games in the NCAA tournament. They've been a team that's done things with the bat, specifically with the long ball all year long. And here they are in five games in the regional, shutting out their opponents in two of them. In a third one, they hold their opponent to one run. And in a fourth one, they hold their opponent to two runs. So in four of their five games in the regional, they give up a grand total of three runs. And for the entire regional, the one game against Texas Tech, they give up five runs. So eight runs in five games you give up. The pitching won this regional for Florida. The hitting obviously had to come through, but the pitching won this regional for the Florida Gators after an entire regular season and SEC tournament, really, of the bats doing the bulk of the damage. And I think if you're a team that's going to look to see the Florida Gators on the other side of the field in either this weekend or beyond, that's not a good sign for you. Yeah, definitely. I think – like we've really gone over it and really just to sum all this up is that this team proved they can win in different ways. 
going into this regional matchup, we said the pitching had to be consistent for the Gators to make a run to Omaha. It finally showed the consistency that we're looking for. My hope and my takeaway is I hope this continues on into this super regional versus South Carolina. This is, you know, we had a redemption for a lot of individual players in the regional final versus Texas Tech to finally exercise those demons and get to the super regional for the first time in five years. Here's another redemption story. We got swept in Columbia this year against South Carolina. It was one of our worst series of the season. It's time to overcome that one more, another demon, beat South Carolina and advance to Omaha for the first time in five years. So I, I definitely am just impressed with the way that the pitching responded and knowing that they had to go deep in games, especially the starters, in order to preserve the bullpen moving forward. The hitters, I think, have finally gotten their, their swing back at the plate. The base running even improved uh, as the weekend went on after the debacle against Texas Tech in the second game. So I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see this team prove something against South Carolina. I think they will, and we'll get into that later in the week when we have a preview show for the Super Regional. And just for our fans out there, I want to go ahead and kind of tease. Uh, we're going to have a special episode coming up where we're actually going to be teaming up with the Spurs Up show, uh, previewing the Florida-South Carolina series uh, from the South Carolina fan perspective. I think this is a this is going to be a great series. There's a, a, a lot of history to talk about in this upcoming matchup with South Carolina. Florida has faced South Carolina, obviously, numerous times in the regular season in the SEC tournament, fighting for SEC supremacy. But they've also fought before in the NCAA tournament in Omaha and have actually lost to South Carolina in the final in one of the most gut-wrenching defeats in school history. So there's going to be a lot to talk about with Spurs Up. We're excited. Neil and I are very excited uh, to collaborate with those guys over there, and we look forward to the conversation. So be on the lookout for that episode to drop later in the week, right before the Super Regional matchup begins on Friday. And uh, it was announced today that the series will begin on Friday and will run Saturday, and if necessary, for a third game on Sunday. So go ahead and make sure you mark your calendars off this weekend to watch those games Friday and Saturday evening. It's going to be a fantastic time. I would imagine, Neil, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, that the first two pitchers will be Sprout and Waldrip, and hopefully that is all we need. So that is it uh, for baseball. Uh, we're going to now switch gears into football. There's a lot of news to cover out of the official visits that we had this week. It was a big weekend, uh, and we, and we I think, are going to see some results from it down the road, uh, but unfortunately no commitments yet. Uh, before we get into that, though, a quick word from one of our partners. Uh, the Gator Good Foundation is one of our big partners, longtime partners with the show. Um, the Gator Good Foundation is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of you that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses it to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. The football season just around the corner. That would definitely be something uh, to start thinking about and email, uh, email our partners at the Gator Good Foundation. Daniil. Speaking of football, let's talk about it. We we had some news today break. Um, unfortunate news. 
there. You know, we we had said going into the official visits, we wanted to see, you know, us close. Closers close. There were a lot of official visits around the country this weekend. Not many commitments as a result of it. But there was one program that got very hot off official visits, and that was the Clemson Tigers, a, a program we haven't really heard a lot about on the trail recently. But they struck again in Tampa. T.J. Moore, who a long time was thought to be a, a big-time Florida lean. This is a top 100 receiver out of Tampa, Tampa Catholic High School here, uh, where I'm from. He committed to the Clemson Tigers today after his official visit, was expected to visit Florida later in the month, but that no longer will be the case. He is in the class with Dabo Sweeney. Clemson has a long history of actually coming into Tampa and pulling wide receivers specifically. Guys like Ray Ray McLeod uh, come to mind there. This is, a, this is a tough loss for the Gators. I think this was a guy a lot of people had penciled in the class. Would have been a big way to get that receiver core going for the 2024 class. But unfortunately, Florida's going to have to pivot and go in different direction there. There are a lot of other options on the board. You have a guy like Jure Hawkins out of IMG who's going to be visiting Florida later this month. That's a guy that I'm looking at as potentially joining the class. But, you know, not as highly ranked. I think will potentially could rise up the, the rankings. But also, he kind of fits more into that slot speed role. Whereas TJ Moore was more of that taller possession receiver where you want to balance that receiving core class out. Uh, but we'll have to see kind of how it goes there. So, unfortunately, a big loss there. But then we kind of get into the visits themselves. Uh, we put a lot of content out on our recruiting handle this past weekend, kind of showing live in action as the guys were arriving to campus, as well as, as they were visiting and taking the pictures. Neil, I think Florida, at the very least, has one of the most impressive photo shoots, uh, maybe for any official visitor in the country. It certainly beats uh, putting a blanket draped over uh, in the background like another school up north. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it looked like it was a successful visit weekend. All the early signs and returns from the parents, from the players that visited, say that the coaches really know how to connect genuinely with these guys. Uh no commitments, though. No commitments. And certainly that, that that is disappointing. But I want to remind fans, it was at this time last year when you had an Aiden Mizell visiting. It was at this time last year where a prospect out of Alabama who nobody really had heard from or expected in the Florida Gators class named Kelby Collins visited Florida for the first time. Those guys ultimately committed later in the summer. And we had a lot of official visits this weekend. We're going to have a lot of official visits later in the week, uh, this coming week and in this month. Uh, Neil, I would expect some visits to finally come to fruition into commitments probably later in the month of June, into July, and into August before the football season starts. And, of course, we all know the dead period is coming up in July where guys, after maybe they take their visits, are going to finally make some decisions. So maybe give me your impressions on where you think we are recruitment-wise after the official visits this week and where you think we go from there. Well, we, we talked at, at nauseum on the – or I talked at nauseum on the last pod certainly about my my fandom of the player that Chris Jones is a linebacker. And we also talked on that pod about how, as you just mentioned, Florida needs to close um, the, the line – the line from Shelton on High Top Sport was something like, you know, be be more aggressive. You have to you have to go and sometimes be more 
of a salesman, I think. If a kid goes to you and says, hey, you know, I really liked your campus. I really liked your coaching staff. I like the guys, I like the facilities. I just want to go home and think about it. Maybe you, I, I hate to say this because this goes against every fiber of Napier's being, but maybe you pull out a stunt and you go, well, what's there to think about? You're here. Mom and dad are here. You see it for yourself. What's there to think about? Because now the ball is in the court of the Georgia Bulldogs because they're going to get him on their campus in a couple of weeks from now. And sure, Florida might still win the battle. Maybe he just wants to take that visit to get a, I don't know, a, a free trip to Athens and meet some girls or something. It's always possible with high school kids. I don't know. But you're giving them that chance to sell him. So I would really like to see with Napier and this staff start to get guys on campus and don't let them walk off campus without a commitment. And obviously that's not going to happen for the overwhelming majority of the guys you bring on campus. If you're going to have a, a big weekend where you have 20 plus guys on your campus, if you get three commitments out of it, that's tremendous. If you're going to get two commitments out of it, that's still really good, but you can't keep going over weekends. Oh, for the weekend. If Florida has another big weekend this upcoming weekend, and let's say I'm just going to make up numbers now, but let's say on three straight weekends, Florida has 25 plus kids visit and you get commitments from zero of them. Well, now you're not missing on the overwhelming majority of them. Now you're not failing to secure the overwhelming majority of them. You're failing to get any of them. And there's a big difference there because with a lot of kids, they talk. We talk about DJ Lagway having relationships with guys like Jeremiah Smith. We talk about guys being friends. They play seven-on-seven seven ball together. They meet at Elite 11s. They play high school ball together. They talk. They're friends. And you want guys to be committed to the Florida Gators and start doing some of your work for you, like a DJ Lagway, who is a good recruiter. Last year, we had to trade on Webb do that for us. But we need more guys in the class as now we're in the middle of June and yes, the, the blue chip ratio is great. The average player rating is great. But Chris, we just don't have that many guys in the class. So of course, it's possible that we're going to have a big July. We had that big weekend last year. Uh, I think one of the guys you actually forgot to mention because there were so many of them that committed in that span, Will Norman, another guy we're expecting a lot out of not just this year, but beyond. So yes, that weekend in July was great. And yes, it all stemmed from that visit weekend in April. But the more chances you give a Georgia who's going to get Chris Jones on their campus, the less you like the chances of the Gators to keep landing those types of blue chip athletes that we know we need to get more of, not less. Most definitely. And I think this is just coming from experience of the last 10 years from Gator fans where we've had a lot of guys come to visit campus. They say they have a great time, but ultimately end up committing to schools like Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, as we mentioned earlier, where they got the commitment of PJ Moore today. The Gator fans just have a lot of bad experiences in the last 10 years. They're jaded. They want to see commitments. They want to see high-rated commitments, and they want to see them now. When we have visitors weekends like this where we hype them up, Maybe the fans hype them up a little bit more than the coaching staff even hypes them up. But I think that they just want to see results. Recruitment is a talent acquisition business. You have to acquire the talent and then we require you need those commitments. But we really, really need those commitments now. I want to touch really quick, though, on kind of where the receiver board goes now. Florida, you know, did have Jeremiah Smith on campus once again with his good friend, DJ Lagway. They spent the entire week at the NIL Summit. 
Then they flew together and got to Gainesville where Jeremiah Smith had his official visit. You know, I think this, this recruitment can go many, many different ways. I think it's safe to say, Neil, that this is probably going to go down to the wire. Many believe this will drag into December all the way to signing day. He's looking at different schools. He's looking at Miami. He's looking at Georgia. He certainly could stick with Ohio State. Brian Hartline is arguably the best recruiter in the country. And, of course, this is his receivers coach. Uh, you know, but he also could flip to Florida. There's smoke that that will happen, and he has a great connection to DJ Lagway. Guys want to play with with leaders, with alphas. And so that was one of the biggest uh, takeaways from this weekend was the fact that DJ Lagway is that. Uh, one of the guys that actually mentioned this was Jordan Ross. Jordan Ross is an edge defender out of the state of of Georgia or Alabama. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's from one of those schools or one of those states. A similar situation, I think, to a Kelby Collins last year, where many believe he's leaning toward an Auburn, Alabama, a Georgia, not looking at Florida. But then after this weekend, had a fantastic weekend, made a great connection with DJ Lagway. And actually, there's reports out today from Keith Newbauer of on three that his mother has actually said Florida is the number one school right now from the visit. So Florida has shot up the board overnight for one of the top edge rushers in the country. Some outlets actually have him as a five-star. He could ultimately end up as a consensus five-star when it's all said and done. So that would be huge, especially at a position where we really do need edge players to commit. We actually need to take a lot of edge players. We're currently in the portal trying to fill the depth of that position for this upcoming season. So Jordan Ross, sort of now has become one of the highest guys on the board for this staff to get, and they certainly made a great impression. Other receivers that we looked at, Jure Hawkins, as I mentioned, is going to be visiting uh, in a couple of weeks here. That's a commitment, I think, to coming down to Penn State or us, and certainly the room in the class right now for receivers could help us there. There's another prospect that's certainly starting to gain a lot of attention. He's from Louisiana, Michael Turner, high-rated three-star. A lot of people believe he'll be elevated to a four-star not too long from now. But he's got some big offers. You know, he's catching the attention from schools like Georgia, Miami, Auburn, Tennessee. Many believe, though, if LSU comes in with the offer, then it could be all over. So we'll have to see there if Florida can nab him quickly. Uh, they have success uh, getting guys like Trevor, uh, Trevor Etienne in the class uh, a couple of years ago now to join from the state of Louisiana. So we'll see if, if that trend can continue with Michael Taylor. Uh, and then there's Chance Robinson. Chance Robinson is expected to visit here this month as well. He is a longtime Miami commit. And Neil, I know you have your you shared your thoughts on this one. I think now the staff has to turn their heat the heat up on Chance Robinson to flip. And Miami's got a lot of recruiting issues. There's a lot of rumors out there right now that they are kind of on probation uh, or they're at least being watched by the NCAA with all of the stuff that went on with John Ruiz this past year. John Ruiz is under federal investigation for uh, all of the stuff that has happened with Life Wallet and the stock there. So I think that there's certainly an opening and an opportunity as time goes on with Chance Robinson, I know he likes the guy. I like likes the guys there. He likes the program. He's from South Florida. But at the end of the day, if the NIL isn't there for Miami anymore, and there's an opportunity to come in and make an impact at a school like the University of Florida, who could have a more promising future, there's certainly a potential for Chance Robinson to to flip uh, to the Gators. 
Uh, a couple other guys I want to mention before we close tonight. There was some good feedback guys from Kendall Jackson, who is from Gainesville, uh, as well as LJ McCray out of Mainland. He's teammates with Zay Mincy, the safety who many believe is a big Florida lean right now and will be visiting this coming weekend, could be on commit watch this coming weekend. Uh, LJ McCray did say he had a great time. I think this is one that I would expect potentially in the class sometime this summer. We might just have to wait, though, for that to come to fruition. And then you have, uh, you know, this upcoming weekend, we've got some big guys coming. Amir Jackson, Walter Matthews, uh, two tight ends right there who are potentially leaning toward Florida. Amir Jackson probably being the most likely of the two. But there's, a, I think there's some opportunities for some commitments over the next coming uh, weeks for this team. We're just going to have to sit back and see. So as, as Neil mentioned, the, the, four, the, the blue chip rating is good. The overall player average is good. Right now, we only have eight commitments. We need to start seeing a couple more start rising up the rankings and, and start getting hot on the recruiting trail to get that momentum. So I think we just have to continue to be patient. It's frustrating to to not see the results right away, but as the summer goes on, I think the staff is working very hard behind the scenes to get guys on campus, to get them excited about playing for the Florida Gators. And we have some great recruiters. Having a DJ Lagway at this time right now is something we didn't have this time last year and I think is going to end up paying off and maybe getting us those higher-level uh, elite guys that we missed out on last year. That could truly be the difference maker in the 2024 class. Neil, any more thoughts on recruiting or football before we wrap it up for the evening? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the last sentence you just said was, was the key for this class because Florida – I will argue hard. Florida did get some elite talent last year. I happen to think very, very highly of Kelby Collins. I happen to think very, very highly of Aiden Mizell. We haven't even seen Eugene Wilson yet, but I happen to think very, very highly of him. And I happen to, although he's a project, I happen to think highly of the potential of Rod Kearney. I think he is one that's going to take another year or two to develop, but I think the potential there is huge. So I think we have four, five, maybe six guys that we can look back in five years and go, oh, yeah, that guy should have been a five-star. Yeah, that that was an elite pull. That was a tremendous recruiting win for Florida. He was an elite player for Florida. But we didn't get enough of those guys. We got a lot of guys that I think are just going to be very good players. For example, I would say Ventrell Miller was one for Florida that definitely outplayed his three-star rating, but you wouldn't call him an elite player for Florida. He was very good. He was a very good college football player for Florida, but he wasn't, you wouldn't call him a Brandon Spikes. You wouldn't put him at the level of a Mike Peterson. You just wouldn't put him at that upper, upper, upper echelon of guys. And recruiting now, I think Florida's goal is has got to be to start closing on more of those guys that you look at and go, yeah, you know, I could see, let's let's say Chance Robinson. Yeah, I could see Chance Robinson being when he's not the same kind of receiver, but let's just say for, from a production standpoint, let's just say, yeah, I can see Chance Robinson being a, a Lewis Murphy. I, I can see him being an Ike Hilliard, meaning the next great Florida receiver. Of course, again, there are differences. There's no such thing as the next insert player name here because everyone's different, different skills, um, and so on and so forth. But Florida has to start closing on guys that are going to make up their minds fairly soon. Um, I happen to think that Chris Jones will be one of them. I don't think he's going to be one that waits until time. I have, I have, a, I have a suspicion that he wants to get his commitment out of the way before he plays his final year of high school ball. So that's going to be one that I think Florida has to 
get over with and get over with in the right direction, obviously for Florida, Amir Jackson, another one. Um, I don't, I don't see that one going down to the wire either. I don't think he's going to be one that goes into certainly not into, into the, the heat of his football season in his senior year where he still has it hanging over his head. He wants to focus on his high school football team in that season. He's going to want to get that commitment over with. So get it over with in your favor, close, be that aggressive salesman that goes and says, you know what? You see everything right here. Make your move. Maybe you don't say it in those terms, but you essentially convey that message to him because Florida with only eight guys in his class now, it's it's not February or March anymore. Yes, there are still several months to go, but there's not as much time as people may think, especially now with signing day being in December as opposed to February. You only have a couple more months with the kids that are going to try to make their minds up before they start their senior years of high school. So let's start seeing some results. And like I said, from the day we hired Billy Napier, I do trust that he will ultimately get the job done. I think there will be a learning curve. I think maybe one of those things he has to learn is, is when to, to be the aggressive salesman and, and when to back off and when to be that cordial, you know, charming, polite Southern gentleman and just, not appearing pushy, you know, knowing which recruits the pushiness works with and knowing which recruits the laid back attitude works with, maybe getting a better feel for that at the SEC level. Maybe that's something that he can can uh, can learn how to do. But we need results because if we don't start getting some of those top guys that we really want on our board, we're going to have to start dipping into that second tier. We're going to have to start going to our, our B list of options. And do we see what's happened in other schools around the country when you do that for enough players and enough positions, the star ranking drops and there is a correlation that tends to follow. That's not great. So let's just see some results, Billy. I, I trust you. I, you know, I, I think that you are a tremendous recruiter, but we got to start seeing some results. Fair enough. Great analysis. Great show. It's exciting times, at least for the baseball program to be back in the super regional and hopefully more exciting times for the football program with some big-time recruits. Before we get out of here tonight, I want to shout out one of our partners, affiliates now, Alma Mater. Some great merchandise that continues to drop every day. Also, they support a lot of our athletes through NIL efforts. But be sure to go ahead and pick up some new merch today on Alma Mater uh, on our website. So click the link at the top of our homepage and be sure to buy some awesome hats, shirts, polos, and whatever else they have on our website. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Mr. Crispitz. You can follow All Kinds of Weather on Twitter at All Kinds Weather. Follow us on Instagram at All Kinds Weather blog. Also on Twitter, our podcast at IAKOW Forecast. On YouTube, we have our All Kinds of Weather page where Neil has all of our old games and relive the Gator glory from all basketball, football, baseball. And then we also have our new YouTube channel. We encourage everybody to go follow. Eventually, we're going to start really dropping some videos here live uh, from us here. So be sure to go follow that YouTube channel at In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And then also follow, uh, make sure to leave us a, a review. Great review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a five-star review. Leave us a nice review. We're going to start doing some ad reads of those reviews on our show. Definitely helps us with the algorithms. 
and to help promote our show and reach a wider audience. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Chris James. Go Gators, and we'll see you later this week.